listeners. Uh, I know that we have been on a bit of a hiatus, but many things happen, including going to Massachusetts for a minute. Uh, but we are back, and I'm stoked. Uh, the individual that I'm having on, I've known for nearly a decade now, and they have always been just a fun, spirited individual. But today, we're going to dive into the the real nitty-gritty stuff. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Katie Newcomb. <laughs> is that where the background like? yeah i'll throw in the applause <laughs> okay so did you have you always lived in minnesota yeah you have okay Wh- like did you grow up in becker or where did you grow up at? no um i grew up man in wright county area for a really long time but like i've like moved over like a lot of places so but yeah, based based like basically like I grew up in like Buffalo Monticello area. Oh, okay, so. okay. Yeah, the sticks. Gotcha. <laughs> um, do you have any siblings? Yeah, I have a brother, and he's like eleven months older than me. So I like to say that we're twins, and everybody goes, "Oh, you got a twin," and I'm like, "No, I just lied." But like, <laughs> you know, we're basically in the same age group, so he's like pretty much my best friend, and he kind of looks like me, but I'm the cuter one, and then. I have a sister, and she's three years older than me, and she's like the mom of us, so. Ah, okay. Now, so that's what I'm curious about is like the kind of that dynamic. So do you guys all have the same dad? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Okay. Because um, I, I know that Bear comes into the picture at some point, but I wasn't sure at what point he came in. Yeah. What do you remember your mother and father's relationship being like? <sighs> So, uh, I, like, was, like, a teeny tiny baby, like, one years old when they, like, divorced. Um, they've been together since my mom was, like, 17, because she had, like, my sister at 17. Okay. And so my mom and dad got married, like, while my mom was pregnant with my sister. And then, um, they stayed together until I was, like, one years old, and then they divorced. And, like, ever since then, like... My dad ended up marrying this one other girl for a really long time. And then my mom's just kind of always been in and out of relationships and stuff. So so you had mentioned like before we started or um, you had mentioned that that your sister was kind of the, the mother figure. Mm-hmm. Did it seem like so was mom out of the house a lot? <laughs> she I don't want to be like mean or anything but like she wasn't very like all there a lot um like she was for a while um when we were growing up I want to say I was like seven years old at the time we lived in this um apartment like subsidized housing unit and my mom ended up meeting this one guy um and she ended up marrying him and he was cool at first like really fun like super happy-go-lucky kind of guy and then he like became like horrible like I mean like really bad and he ended up like messing her up like in the head and so eventually like you know like when mental health takes over like it takes over physical too yeah so she ended up like not being able to like be there for us like growing up so my sister being the older one she ended up like kind of like taking that role and I remember um like growing up like that guy that she was married to he made a lot of money because he was a construction worker so he was always in and out of like the state like traveling for his job so we ended up actually getting our first house by ourselves like ever because like otherwise like we grew up in subsidized housing otherwise we grew up like 
living with our grandparents and because money's hard to come by. And so we got this house um, finally. And in this house, like, is when, like, it really started taking a toll on my mom's mental health. And she, like, ended up pulling something on us. Um, or when, when you say taking a toll, like, in what ways did it, it present itself? Like, was she isolating she, herself or? Um, she, they would fight a lot. Um, and, like, he would do horrible things to her. Like, I mean, like, inhumane shit. And so it took a lot on her mental health. So she would basically try to kill herself all the time. So she would have to be um, in and out of the house. Like, she got put into the psych ward for a while. And so my sister stepped up and... um. I don't really know why nothing happened to us because we were all minors under age, but we were living in that house alone. I'm kind of thinking that nobody reported it, maybe. Probably. So, because that kind of, like, looking back on it, it didn't really make sense, too much sense, but I'm just assuming nobody reported it. But also, I remember this one time, the very last time we had, because my mom was always gone for, like, months at a time, and we didn't really know where she went so the very last time our mom disappeared for like three months and my sister was like always like making us food like whatever and we were still going to school so like there were no suspicions as to like you know things going on and so eventually like we ran out of food so my sister called her grandparents and she's like hey can you guys like buy us food or bring us food over or whatever we don't have any and my grandma's like where's your mom? Why isn't she buying you food? And then my sister's like, oh man, like mom's kind of gone. She's been gone for a while. And then, so my grandma was like, just pack your stuff or whatever you guys are coming with us. So our grandparents like ended up getting like custody of us. I do you know where your mom was in that three month time. No, no. And you can't really ask that kind of stuff with her either. (laughs) So I, I try to let people know this. I normally say it at the top, but I kind of forgot. Um, So with the whole mentality of like, I'm trying to protect my parent because I know they were going through some things and and this and that. That's not supposed to be the kid's job. Mm -hmm. Your sister shouldn't have had to step up and do those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I give the example of like my, like Landon saw me, uh, laying in my bed unconscious with EMTs and police around and shit. And it's not his job to try to make me feel more comfortable about like talking about that situation. So I try to let people know, like it's, it, it's okay to talk about your stuff because it's supposed to be our job to make you feel better and, and feel safe in the sense of being able to like, look, I haven't dealt with, you being gone for three months or I haven't dealt with some of the things that I saw that man do to you. Like I, I get that you need to heal, but you got to know I'm your kid. I need that too. Does that make sense? If we ever said any of that shit to her, she would like, you can't say that stuff to her. She like has melts. Like she just like loses it every time. So if we were to ever confront her, like being like, Hey, the stuff that you put us through and like what you did to us, like actually did have an effect on us and traumatized us for like, lifelong kind of thing like if we were to ever tell her that she would like just break down and like just start like i'm not saying she's a narcissist but i'm also not saying she's like 
not one, you know? Yeah, I think that it, what it sounds like is there's a level of PTSD and the fact that she became kind of reliant on the fact that you guys um, could take care of yourselves. So those two things happening at the same time and then going on for so long, her, like, survival mechanism was like, okay, the kids will be fine. I need to figure out how to deal with my shit. And because she had that mentality, whenever somebody brings up that thing, she goes right back to, no, 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 you don't understand. They were taking care of themselves. They needed that blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I've seen that kind of thing before where it's, yeah, it, it's this, and maybe she doesn't recognize that that's what she's doing, but the concept is there is to like, no, you guys are fine. Everybody survived. She always reverts to the excuse that like I gave birth to you guys and I gave up everything just to make sure that you guys were okay kind of thing. Yeah. So she thinks that she was doing what was best for you guys, which is. <laughs> Abandonment. Yeah. <laughs> but when they're going through it, they don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I don't know what her childhood was like, but I mean you know, how her parents treated her for having a child at 17. Like, I don't know, like the grandparents that you went to, was it your mom's grandparents? Okay. Um, did they ever let on to like, like some parents don't do the best job of like keeping that shit in and they talk shit about like your parents. Did they do any of that stuff or? Um, so... They've always, like, looked towards my mom as, like, the troubled child. But um, that's only because my mom was, like, more feistier in spirit. Like, she didn't, like, take their shit. Like, she didn't take it, like, laying down, you know, like, belly up, like, just kind of yep, like. Yep, um, So that's where their problem stems with her. She's, like, rebellious in that way. Um, But my grandma, she... She's like a saint in my eyes. Everybody says that she's, like, kind of cranky, kind of, like, bitchy or whatever, naggy, like whatever um but like she it's because she cares she doesn't do it in a horrible like derogatory way like she she will never like do it to like be like your pants look fucking stupid kind of like naggy, how dare like, you right but um <laughs> so like she she nags because she wants to see you like do better but it's not like the detrimental like horrible oh i, I kind of stuff yeah, yeah. um but my grandpa he is a horrible person mm. like horrible like i mean like this is the one we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Okay. And um, he he like was a struggling alcoholic. He's still an alcoholic to this day. Um, he fought in Vietnam. So obviously that's like mm -hmm. got a lot to do with it. But yeah, ever he's just always been like really bad. So, yeah. So I, I'm sure that had to be tough. Like you're trying to I, I, I never know. And this is why, like, I was excited to talk to you is because you're such a cheerful person and every time that I like we'll go months without seeing each other but every time that I see you you always have a new way that you want to progress your outlook on life which I think is really cool um like I the last time you were here you're talking about putting love out into the universe so that you get it back that whole concept um law of attraction yes law of attraction <laughs> um but when you come from an environment that's so like chaotic, I wonder like what, what things you were doing to try to cope with what was going on. Um, well, I don't know. It's like, I'm not saying I'm unfazed by a lot of things, but, um, 
you can only take so much of like trauma and like all of those heavy things that happen in your life before your brain kind of goes on autopilot. So like when bad things eventually happen, like after you're already like overloaded with so many bad things, like you're kind of like just riding the wave at that point. You're like, okay, that's fine. Like, cool. Like it's unfazed at this point. Not saying that I'm unfazed or untouched by it, but like, you know, like you can only take so much before you're unable to like react to everything all at once, all the time. Um, but, uh, Therapy. I went to therapy for like three years. And so I have a, I have a, I have borderline personality disorder. So in therapy, I had to get a DBT specialist, um, dialect behavioral therapy. And so it, it kind of like helped with like tools to use, you know, like how old were you when you did that? Oh man. Like, um, it was like right after I had my baby. So like 19, almost 20. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm curious about is like, you're going through school and a lot of that is like kind of the feeling that the world is against you or Mm -hmm. that can be part of it. So, yeah, I mean, you're going through and when bad things happen. Yeah. I mean, going, going up until 19 before realizing that you have BPD, like. That's a that's a tumultuous, like tough way to live. Yeah, you always think like, oh, I just have like really bad depression and anxiety. But it's like I don't think anxiety and depression should like overtake you um so much that you're like, oh, this is so heavy, like I feel like I need to kill myself, or like, oh my god, this is so heavy, like nobody's gonna love me, or like because um for BPD, I have anxious attachment style. So if something uh-huh. like if I get close to somebody, whether it be like a family member, friend, or like a partner, um, if they like do something that like would set me off or like you know, like trigger like Mm -hmm. a horrible feeling because like my parents were always absent. So like if they triggered something that was like, oh, I don't want to be around you right now. It's like, oh my God, like, holy fuck. Like this is horrible. This feeling I have now is like horrible. I need to be around them to make sure that they're not going to go anywhere kind of thing. So. Yeah. And I mean, when, when you're, cause it's, I feel like it's impossible to keep those feelings like in and hidden. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, were like how were others treating you when you would have kind of these triggered episodes like is it just oh you're being dramatic or or were people like more understanding um it would be a mix but more so when I was younger I'm not even gonna lie I'm not gonna sugarcoat it I got really good at manipulation I it was like part of BPD man if if you leave me I'm going to kill myself or like If you are absent, like, I am going to feel so horrible and I'm going to be so sad. Please don't leave me. I would say whatever I could to keep them around kind of thing. And a lot of the people would, like, you know, like, just kind of, like, okay. And they, like, (laughs) stick around until, like, they, like, kind of had to, like, actually, like, remove themselves. So, yeah. I, like, burnt a lot of bridges when I was younger until I, like, I I got help for it. By the way, I said part of bpt i'm not like pushing that on you i'm saying like bipolar so i was very similar and they go hand in hand so it's more so like me remembering like the manipulation and gaslighting and and shit like that to try to make sure that people didn't leave it um do you know jared michael yeah so i I like the way that he said it which was it's fuck you don't leave me like that kind of there's 
the polar opposite of those super strong feelings. Like I may be like screaming and, and you you have splits. If you really adore somebody and you really like them and they're like behaving on your terms, you love them, right? And they they're like angelic, godlike in your eyes. But if they do one thing wrong that sets you off, they're evil. And there's like no gray area. It's black and white for yeah. BPD until you actually like start learning. And um, the one thing for BPD that you have to like, I wouldn't say have to, but you should be mindful of is radical acceptance. Yes. So, yeah, you have to accept that not everybody's evil and not everybody's angel like everybody is gray. There's no black and white, but everybody's like a mix of everything. Not saying that everybody's a little bit of evil, but like not everybody's going to like succumb to my needs because they're individuals and they have needs, too. But like with BPD, when you're like overwhelmed with these feelings, all you can think about is me, 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 me. Like, do not leave me. Like, I'm not thinking about what you need right now. I'm not thinking about your space. I don't give a damn about that. Like, I need you. So you need to, like, come here kind of thing. And if you don't come here, you're evil. Yeah, man, there's such sm- it's it sucks to like go like mentally, like go back on situations where you did have those feelings and like your rational brain now being like, oh, my God, I can't believe that's. <laughs> like what a small thing that they did and but but how do you there's no way of knowing that that's what's happening until you're made aware of um it's the dunning kruger effect where like um even when you are made aware of it it's still a challenge to like steer clear from those habits because you've been practicing those habits like lifelong without even knowing it because like people with BPD don't get diagnosed until like way later you know because it's kind of it's a little difficult to like really precisely pick out what people have and stuff so like even now at 26, I still struggle to like remember like, you know, like, OK, this person is a person and they like have their own shit going on, too. Like they have their own pile that they need to focus on. And I am mine. But like, you know, I have my needs, too. So like they don't you know, it's I still struggle with that sometimes. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be. But yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. dude. I it like. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing, and I think we both have friends who have BPD who use it more so as a crutch or an excuse. It, like, so they get the diagnosis, but instead of doing the work, because I I have so much respect for people with BPD who would go through the the effort, because so much of it is behavioral versus medication, which sucks because you're hit with a bunch of medication before you get that diagnosis, and you got to realize like. Medication isn't going to really, like, fix what you got going on. You kind of have to, like, I wouldn't say have to, but, like, it's good to, like, just practice mindfulness, I suppose. And that's easier said than done. Like, everything is always easier said than done. But, like, for medication, like, it was so hit and miss. And, like, I was on so many meds at once at one point that it, like, was overstimulating my system Mm. where I, like, started having a really bad reaction to it. So I I was always antsy and it felt like I had to do something. So, like, if somebody was driving me around in a car, I felt like I I was, like, I got to get out. Like, I need to jump out of this car. Like, I was, like, so, like, antsy. Like, I couldn't sit still kind of thing. And so eventually, like, I just stopped taking depression medication and I kind of realized I'm more anxious than I was depressed too anyway and like I don't know I I never really benefited from medication but there are people out there who like definitely do 
benefit yeah. from that shit. So well, and that's that's actually one field that I I don't really know. I I so the experience that I have is, um, I mean, there's a myriad of things, but like the takeaway from all of the shit that I've been through is that there's like you typically go to your like um, family doctor or uh, pra- nurse practitioner. Some. Whatever. <laughs> um, your typical doctor. And their thing is just like, okay, so you think you're depressed or you think you're this. Let's try this medication. And that can take two weeks to start kicking in. And then it kicks in. And then they're like, well, let's wait it out another two weeks. So you're going like a month of bullshit until you try the next one. And so you can go like this long span of time of trying a bunch of shit. And when you finally land on one that this is the one that always trips me up with friends who have had depression or people that I talk to um, where they say they feel nothing. And they're like, I'm just numb. I'm not feeling anything. I could not handle that shit. That's, That's why I stopped taking them. The thing is, is that we're so used to feeling extreme levels of whatever it is, right? Like extremely stoked, extremely depressed, whatever the thing is, like extremely nervous, that when we have something that is just like this neutral plane, it's it's so uncomfortable. And it's so alarming that our body is like, well, this isn't how we normally feel. Like this isn't normal to us. So trying to get used to like boredom and like the, because life majority of the time is pretty boring. So like trying to get used to that boring plane can be a fucking nightmare. And mo- I, I would say like eight out of 10 people that I talk to who have been on medication stop taking it because of that side effect, this blandness that like makes them think that they're being a zombie. But most of the time it's that, that, cur- that learning curve of like, oh, this actually just allows me to kind of look at life in a boring ass way so that I can like handle things the way that normal people do. Does that make sense? Like, but I mean, 33 years old until I got to that point. So it's like, it, like you were saying before, like it's not an easy, I mean, it takes its work forever and ever, but especially like on, on your side of things, you're dealing with this shit, like discovering yourself and figuring out kind of, you know, how who you are as a human being while at the same time you have a broken home and like were you guys how long were you with your grandparents for man like i pretty much our whole lives i guess like because we were in and out of our grandparents house um ever since we were like basically born because my mom like you know we were very poor growing up so my mom um she had a house with my dad for a little bit, but then, you know, the divorce happened. So she moved back in with our grandparents and mm-hmm. we all went there and then, you know, we were just in and out of the grandparents house so much that, yeah, we like, I want to say we lived on our own, like in our own house without our grandparents for maybe like three years. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of like, yeah, that's gotta be tough to get used to because grandma and grandpa are like a safe spot. I guess, or like, um, home turf. Yeah. Home turf. But you venture out and and try to do things on your own, um, as a family or, or literally on your own. And so eventually I would imagine like 
going back to grandma and grandpa's feels like kind of like a defeat. Um, Does that make sense? We're like, we, we tried a, a thing and it didn't work out. And so I guess we go back to grandma and grandpa's. Yeah. Resorting to like the safe space. Yeah. It's kind of like a black hole though. You can't fucking <laughs> escape, dude. Like, yeah. you, you know, you throw a yo-yo and you walk the dog, but then you got to sucker back up because you're like, it's kind of like that. The dog's got a broken leg. <laughs> got to put that thing down now. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> so you're living with grandma. So did you graduate high school? No. <laughs> Hell no. No, I dropped out to re-enroll to drop out again. Yo. Okay, tell me about that. So like why was there the initial dropout? So the first time I dropped out of school was because like I have ADHD. I cannot fucking concentrate. I like. It's really bad. And so I never did good in school. I was always failing like almost everything all the time. And uh, eventually I just ended up dropping out at like 16 or 17 because I couldn't focus. And also like I was mad depressed. So I was always skipping school anyway. Mm. So I would barely show up. So I'm like, what's the fucking point? So I just dropped out. And then I ended up like getting this like little spark in my ass. And I was like, well, might as well try to fucking finish, I guess. So I re-enrolled and then I ended up getting pregnant and then I dropped out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So how old were you when you got pregnant? 18. 18? Okay. But it was like a few months into being 18. So like oh. right when I turned 18, basically. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people are like, now I can like legally go into porn stores or yeah. buy cigarettes. And you're like, I want to get a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no. Um, so, and is that Soba? Yeah. Okay. So when, when did you meet him? <laughs> I met him when I was 17. Um, when I went to get the bottom of my navel pierced or whatever by their okay. old piercer, Pablo. And Pablo! So Sova was the piercing apprentice at the time. And so when Pablo was piercing my belly, he was like, hey, Sova, come look at this. So Sova came around the corner and popped his little head out. And that, that was the first time I ever saw him. And he was like, oh, that's cool. So yeah. He's such a cute little fucker. <laughs> it's hard. Like, I remember like when, when I started to like learn kind of more... <laughs> The like the in depth part of Soba, I was like, oh, that's a bummer because he's cute as hell. He's so cute. <laughs> you want to pinch his little cheeks? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been a minute since I've talked to him, so I I, I know he's he's in- still cool. Okay. <laughs> cool. When you find out that you're pregnant, because you're you're of an age where like abortion at least started to become more of like this isn't something that like whores do like this is something that like people genuinely have to sit down and make this decision and it sucks every time like i don't care how many abortions somebody's had like it's not fun physically it's not fun (laughs) um so when i first found out that i was like pregnant for the first time ever i was like you know, like it's it's a very surreal feeling because you you don't think that it can happen to you like that, oh, I guess, yeah. right away. And so, yeah, when I found out that I was pregnant, I was like, I was like smoking a cig on the phone of the doctor. And she's <laughs> like, because I thought I just had like a really bad sickness or a really bad flu because I didn't suspect that shit. So she was like, yeah, you're pregnant. And I'm like sucking a puff. And she says that. And I was like, you know, like, you know, and so I like. Went back and forth in my head and I was like, well, I mean, it's my first one ever. And like you get emotionally attached right away when you found find out that it's your first one ever. So it's just like, yeah. And so, yeah, I ended up keeping it. Um, 
Uh, there was only like maybe two people who probably suggested like abortion for me or whatever. But I was like stubborn at the time. And I was like, nah, I'm gonna keep them or whatever. And like, I did have every intent on like mothering the child and stuff, but you know, sometimes like things just end up happening. And so I, my body wanted to like basically give birth like six, seven months into being pregnant. Oh, so like, shit. yeah. And so I, I just was not ready. Like I didn't have my own place. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a license. I didn't even have a fucking permit, you know? So like, how am I going to like take care of a baby kind of thing? So I was like, you know, I guess adoption is the option. So, um, my manager, uh, for the place that I was working at the time, Taco John's, um, she was like, uh, she had a wife. And they kind of wanted a baby, but they obviously can't have one of their own. So they were like, if you think about giving them up or whatever, we'd adopt your baby. And I'm like, hell yeah, because I've been working with this bitch for like two years. I already know her and know how she is, her temperament and everything. So I was like, fuck yeah, okay. So yeah, he's like, he's got like three moms, like no dad. He's like a redhead. He's like, like very short. He's like two years behind in height, the doctors say. And he's like, really scrawny so he's like the perfect target for bullying and his head's really big okay let's take a couple steps back (laughs) because we just covered like (laughs) seven years of um, it's funny because he is seven (laughs) right that's what i thought okay um so when we go back and you the you're starting to recognize these situations did the thought of the way that your mother raised you come into your head at all? Yeah. Okay. The other thing that I'm curious about is like those, because of those abandonment issues and like, not in the sense that we're like, you're a broken person. Like you like genuinely have trauma that's associated with these things. Did, I mean, it's got to feel heavier giving up your child. Yeah. Does that make sense where I'm going? Like I can't, believe that you were able to do it and not have like suicidal tendencies (laughs) oh boy yeah no so I did not want to give him up for adoption like now that I'm older like it definitely was the best choice but you know like things happen but yeah I did not initially want to give him up so when I did give him up for adoption like when we left the hospital like me and my baby dad like I became very depressed. I lost a lot of weight because I didn't have an appetite anymore. Couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, like any of that stuff. And I just was not uh, a person anymore, basically. And I tried killing myself. I tried killing myself. And then I ended up in the psych ward for a while. And that's when I started therapy and stuff. So, yeah. Okay. So you're saying that was was after giving him up for adoption? Or, Mm -hmm. okay, okay. That initial suicide attempt. Um, was that your first attempt? No. No. Nope. So had you been on a mental health unit before? Yeah. Okay. I've been in and out of them quite a few times, <laughs> like in my life. Okay. And that's, this is a safe space. We have penis dragon, <laughs> but also I've been on adult mental health units. So I'm very familiar. I was on uh, the St. Cloud Hospital twice. At first it was like a 72 hour hold. But because I was there on a holiday weekend, I ended up being there for five days, I think. And that's such a trip because, like, we want to, at least this was my experience, which was to say, everything's fine. Like, 
you 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 fail the suicide attempt and you're in the hospital and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. Like I'm able to interact with people. I'm friendly, whatever. The only thing that's wrong is I attempted suicide. But other than that, everything's fine. And like having somebody try to be like, is it the suicide is the whole thing. That's none of the other stuff matters because you tried to end your life. So when you get onto the mental health unit, were you able to confront any of the shit that you were going through? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause at first I did not want to participate and I just wanted to get home, but I was on the 72 hour hold like everybody else. So I was a little feisty and upset. So they like, you know, extended my time because like I was not cooperating. It, like I was being a bitch. Like I was not taking my meds like I was supposed to. I was not like doing anything that I was supposed to. But eventually it like I came around and was like, okay, like, <laughs> you know, I'm here. Like, so I might as well like attend the little group therapy sessions and like get to know my roommate and like come out to the common area and like participate in whatever we had to do. And eventually like my very last time that I was like in the mental health unit, like honestly, I'm not going to lie. It was like one of the funnest times I've ever had in my fucking life. It was a blast. So <laughs> Yeah, that's another weird thing. It's like you get used to, like the last time that I was in there, I, I instead of that, like, I need to prove that I'm normal so I can get out of here, it was, oh, I belong here. Mm -hmm. Like, I started making friendships with people and, like, uh, holding court, like, having, like, our own little, like, side meetings and talking about stuff. And I was like, dude, I'm fucking killing it in here. I should just stay here for the rest of my life. Like, yeah. It's nice. It's like a home away from home. Yeah. And then you get released and then you go home and then you're like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, lucky for me, like I went from there to treatment. So it was like not necessarily like a lateral move, but pretty close to a lateral move. Because when I was in treatment, nobody wanted to confront their shit. They're all just like, well, I just had a hard week. So, you know, I drank a little more than usual and I don't need that was like a bunch of fucking crotchety old assholes. But suicide gets easier to like lean on the more times you've had an attempt. And so trying to get to that point to where you're getting suicide out of there as an option, I felt like was really tough. Have you gotten to that point to where you're like, I can't think of suicide as an option? Um, no, uh, I just don't think of it anymore. But I would only like do it so much because like, you know, growing up, I would always see my mom doing it. So I'm like, oh, it must oh. not be that bad. Like, oh, know, that's like, interesting. And so because she would always live. So I'm like, no. <laughs> She she got the attention she got, so. <laughs> but, like, it wasn't necessarily like that. But it was, like, I had all these heavy feelings where I was, like, yeah, I want to fucking die, so I would try to. And, like, I traumatized a lot of people around me or whatever by trying to do that. And, like, now that I'm older, I'm, like, I will never do that shit again. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I the, the last time I tried doing it was in front of my sister and, like, just, like, you know, her growing up the way, like, we, like, seeing the shit that we did, and then I did that shit to her, like, that kind of sucks, like, realizing that, and, like, a lot of it would just kind of, like, be relied on impulsivity, like, I wouldn't mm. even think about trying oh, yeah. to do it, I would just, you know, it came natural, like, breathing and blinking, mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, just gotta, like, I wouldn't think, like, oh, 
I got to kill myself or I'm going to kill myself. I would just do it like without thinking. Yeah. Well, I've, I've described it that way so many times. There's, my my analogy is like you're going through a drive through You ask for a cheeseburger and the clerk is like, oh, we don't, we don't have any cheese. Is a hamburger okay? And you just go, yeah, hamburger's fine. Like it's that simple of a thing and it's that easy to go, yeah, I, so I should kill myself right now. Like there's certain scenarios that when we haven't like confronted our shit that this this thing gets taken away and we go, oh, well, that was the only reason I was living. So I'm going to peace out. You know what I mean? Like it's very easy to do, um, which is scary. And like I still kind of like tiptoe back and forth where like I don't view people who commit suicide as selfish because it's a um, side effect of your condition. Like, you don't get mad at somebody who, you know, smoked cigarettes for dying of cancer. Like, yes, I get that the, you smoked cigarettes and now you have cancer. But once the cancer takes over, like, it's out of your hands. I'm not, you can't get mad at that person for dying because this cancer. So, like, for people who have major depression or major mental health issues that they're unable to control or cope with or, like, have a proper support group, like, what else what else would you think would happen for somebody who's on that trajectory? Like it's to some extent, I think out of their hands and it just, it's a bummer. Like, I don't know. I had uh, the medic, <laughs> the, the last medic that brought me into the hospital was like, like, <sighs> like doing these like weird sighs. And I'm like, you okay? Like I'm strapped to a gurney, but like, how are you doing? <laughs> And she was like, I just don't get it. And I'm like, don't get what? And she's like, suicide. I just think it's really selfish. Like, you shouldn't be doing this job. <laughs> like, For real. But I was like, I, no, most people who commit suicide, I would say the majority, do it because they think they're helping others to some extent. Because you feel like such like a burden. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and or the amount of shame that they feel is just too much to handle and they don't have a support group or, or whatever they need to be able to get out of that hole. Um, pe like people with severe anxiety, like there are some situations, like you were saying, like you stay home from school a lot, like you just cannot fucking get out of bed. Like the thought of having to interact with somebody who's associated with whatever thing, however mild it might seem to them, to us, it carries so much fucking weight that it literally like weighs us down and we can't get away from where we're, where we're at. So that's the surprising thing is to like, like I was saying before, like what a fucking delight you are to be around now. Like how did you come to grips with, uh, what's your son's name? Oliver. Oliver. How did you come to grips with like where, like all Oliver's situation being a good thing and like you being able to like be okay with it? Does that make sense? I kind of worded it weird, but. Um, basically like you, like, like I said, like it takes practice, but like radical acceptance. Like if I had him right now, I would not be where I am today. He would not like be doing as good as he is. You know, like I remember like kind of like a year into like him being here, like when he was one or two years old, um, his parents were like, yeah, we already got him a college fund started and shit. And I'm like, 
I wouldn't even be able to put a penny on that bitch's name. I'd be on Wick right now, EBT, like, struggling as fuck. Like, and, like, not even for him, but I'd be struggling for myself, too. So it's right. just, like, you kind of just have to, like... For me, I just kind of had to, like, really, like, look at it as, like... What I did um, was definitely... Uh, a huge sacrifice and it like it's scary too like giving your baby up for adoption because like you never know like what the parents are actually going to be like to him right and like behind closed doors because people can like be portrayed oh, a certain yeah. way in front of you but then behind closed doors especially with adopted babies like people can be really fucking evil especially with little boys so it's just you like, want to pull this guy a little closer to you but um you just grab at the so there you go uh Basically, yeah, when he was like one or two, I just kind of had to realize like I wouldn't have money for him. He wouldn't be able to go to college. He wouldn't have a college fund. Like I don't like, you know, I wouldn't even be able to get him really nice clothes. I'd probably just have to be like getting him hand-me-downs. Like I, I would not be able to provide for a baby. I still to this day would not be able to. And it's not like materialistic things, sure, but like mentally and physically and emotionally I could not do it like because like for me like I don't even think I'm like going to be capable of being a mom in the future anyway because like now that I'm older I kind of realize like my patience towards things like if he were to like get really sick unfortunately I'd be like that's fucking inconvenient that sucks why <laughs> like you know no I get what you mean which is like and like so I kind of had to realize, like, I would not, like, f be fit to be a mom. Well, and I mean, especially at, at that time, you were already starting at a deficit. Like, you're already in debt emotionally. You're already in debt financially. Like, all of these things, you're already kind of a step back. And then, tr like, yeah, that whole showing up thing, you not everyone is built for it. And there's still this shit-ass stigma about, like, people who say they never want to have kids. It's like, oh, really? You could never have a child? The idea of having my own baby <laughs> is really cool because who wouldn't want, like, a little mini you running yeah. around and stuff? But, like, the reality is, like, I still want to, like, do my own things. And I know that sounds selfish, but, like, and, like, even when I'm older, I still, like, you know, like, I can't, like, with my temperament and, like, all my stuff going on in my own head and stuff, I wouldn't be able to be emotionally and physically present for a baby. So listeners, I hope you heard all of that because there are so many people who just bury that shit <laughs> and have kids anyways and turn out to be shitty parents and don't acknowledge any of that shit until the kid is old enough to go, hey, why the fuck did you treat me that way? You know what I mean? Like I think that is so much more responsible than just saying, oh, everybody, if, if, if a 13-year-old can have a kid, I can have a kid, right? Like that whole, just because millions of people have babies, there's millions of people that are Scientologists. Doesn't mean that it's like the right thing to do. So like having that like frame of mind to be able to acknowledge where you're at, which we talk about all the time too. Like we want people to acknowledge the type of person that they are like like deal with your shit man it's like okay well i dealt with my shit and it turns out i shouldn't be a parent well what but you should spit out like a bunch of kids don't be a pussy like what the fuck 
I don't know. I get on tangents because it's such a, I still hear people doing that whole like, oh, having a kid's not that bad. But it can go bad for that kid. And it's selfish to think that, oh, I can handle it without thinking like, what's that, how is that going to affect that kid? I'm physically capable of having a kid, but like mentally, I think I'd fuck that thing right up. Yeah. I do. <laughs> and I mean, I, I, I agree. I think you're completely fucked up and you should never have kids. <laughs> no. But like if it grew up or whatever, it'd be like, damn, like, you know, like that kid, like if I had a kid right now, like it'd kind of be like doomed. If I physically yeah. it'd be cute, but like mentally, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no. And, and I, yeah, I think that's the right frame of mind is to say like, I did have one teacher who I, it sticks with me to this day because it was just such a shock to hear an adult say it. Like he talked about like kind of, it, well, he kind of like glazed over, like not, he, w he wouldn't say that he was like in the war, but he was like, I've been through some things that if I brought another human into this world, I couldn't bear to have them be as fucked up as I am. And I was just like, fuck dude, that's really heavy, but also I get it. And to get to that point is also really uncomfortable. Like having ADD allows us to be super open because sometimes we can't help it and we just fucking word vomit. But also it allows us to say those things out loud, which can be really difficult for people. But so that's, I think like what I'm trying to say is it's, it's kind of an advantage because we've at least heard it to some extent. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure in high school you heard people say, She's crazy. She's clingy or like whatever, whatever shitty thing people say. And so you go, oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I am fucking whatever. Whereas some people would be like, guys, can you believe the awful thing that somebody said? Like, it's, there's different ways of dealing with stuff, but like we have a particular way of dealing with stuff to where it's said out loud and then we repeat it. And maybe we go down a dark hole and like it turns into a shitty thing and maybe we attempt suicide a couple of times. But also it's this thing that we have that we're like, yeah, I'm kind of aware <laughs> of these fucked up aspects of myself and what am I going to do about it? And you have the people who use it as an excuse or you have the people. And I, I consider like people like you and me lucky because it's not easy to start making those steps towards improving that aspect of yourself because you're also having to acknowledge that you have a problem. Yeah. I have this one best friend. Um, well I live with her right now too. Um, so like whenever I'm like going through some stuff or like, just wait, 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 I'm going to, are we acknowledging that she has mental health issues or no, Oh, oh um, okay, okay, this okay. is for me. Um, so I live with her and, um, so whenever I'm in my head and like going through things, like I'll like s repeat it to her and I'll be like, does, do I sound like I'm victimizing myself? Like as in a victim mentality or it like, is my shit like actually like, you know, so she'll like repeat it to me and she'll be raw and honest too. And like, that, like not everybody likes hearing what they don't want to hear, but like at least she'll tell me like, even if it's not something that I want to hear, it's like really like 
good for me to hear it because it's like, damn, okay, so I did hurt this person's feelings and now I do need to apologize because I was in the wrong. Or, like, you know, they did hurt my feelings and they're fucked up, so then they kind of have to, like, she'll, like, be honest with me. So, yeah, I'm, like, thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, but, yeah, no, that that's rare. Like, people saying, because most of the time people are saying it and they want that confirmation bias. Like, they're saying, like, this dude's fucked up, right? I can't believe he said that shit. Whereas we go, am I, am I crazy? Like, is, is this actually how I should be feeling? Or am I like thinking too deep into it? And yeah, I, it's, I don't know if it's like in part or in part to having ADHD, but I find that like a lot of the people that I talk to who also have ADHD kind of have a similar like trajectory where we go we are a fucking train wreck for a while. Most of the time, I think it's a dual diagnosis thing. People who have ADHD, you probably have something else too. So when it comes to the, the other stuff, it's like we have this kind of self-destructive thing that goes on for a little while. And then we start to go, people I care about are disappearing at kind of an alarming rate. Do I need to change something? Or something happens where we go, okay, maybe I need to ask somebody else if I'm doing the right thing or if I'm thinking the right way. And that's kind of what I do too, where I go, I'm like, should I be mad that somebody fucked my <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like we start to do that thing where we, we have learned that historically speaking, our feelings aren't completely reliable. So we have to start going, I may, might need a second opinion. on Because this. our feelings are so intense. Like the splitting, like, is this person being evil or am I just in my head about it because I'm a little hurt right now? Yeah. So what's your relationship like with your brother and sister? Really good. Um, Which I'm thankful for because most siblings are like, you know, like they're like, ah. All the time, you know, like, <laughs> but me and my siblings, we don't really fight. Um, uh, we're like there for each other. We're all really close. Um, we don't talk every single day, obviously, kind of right. thing. But like, we're like, you know, because we grew up in such a traumatic, like, stressful, like, intense environment, and like, all we had was each other. We didn't have our parents. We didn't have like our grandparents to rely on. We didn't have anything except for like each other. So that's why I was, the next thing I was going to ask was like, did you guys acknowledge to each other what was going on? Like while it was happening or was it when you grew up and then you were like, Hey, remember when this happened? It was when we grew up, like in the moment when you're so young like that, you don't realize things are just fucked up like that. You yeah. just kind of like go with it. You're like, Oh, my mom's gone. My, my dad's <laughs> fucked. Like nothing's going good. Like this is normal. And then you hear like these other kids, they're like, Oh, for Christmas, my family did that. <laughs> and it's like, your family does shit like that. Like what? Like your parents are still together. Your parents like each other. What? Like, you know, you guys have a house. Like, you have your own room. You have a nice bed. Like, what? Like, stuff like that. Like, we're like, hmm. And then we'll, like, repeat it to these kids and they'll be like, huh? Like, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah that's a trip when you bring up some. <laughs> yeah. And then the teachers are like, yeah. 
And then they sign you up for the school counselor, and then the school counselor gets fucking, uh, what do you call it, that fucking shit on your, what is it? Dandruff. <laughs> no, it's like the homesteady kind of people. Oh, uh, CPS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, we got that. Ooh, how did that go? It was weird. It was a trip. Like, we didn't realize like how fucked up the CPS situation was until like my sister kind of repeated it to her when we were older. So I thought it was just a school, <laughs> like me being little. I thought it was just a school counselor coming to our house every once in a great while. Okay. And this was when we were at our grandparents because we didn't have our own actual house. And so these people would come to our house and, like, ask us, the children, a bunch of questions and stuff. And before they came over, my mom was, like, telling us what to say, like, to rehearse, to keep her in the clear and stuff. And so we would say exactly what she wanted, like, what she wanted us to say and stuff. So, yeah, we didn't realize, like, that was CPS until, like, years later. I've been on the other end. When, uh, because my suicide attempt, the kids were home and I was drunk, um, CPS had to get involved and that, that was, it was scary. Not that I thought that they were going to take the kids away, but like that, like, I'm like really going to have to (laughs) see what type of shitty parent I am. And that was wild because a lot of times CPS gets involved but they aren't able to do anything. So like there's certain requirements for um, losing custody of your children and the rules are so fucking loose. Like it blows my mind. Like there was a, a lady that was on here that <laughs> the kids got split up because of the mom, but some of the kids stayed with the mom. So it's like, what are the rule? Why, why would you deem her unfit to rear these children? But then it's okay for her to take the other kids. Like it's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I've been going on tangents. That's okay. <laughs> well, I want to find out more about you. So, when it comes to like you know, you guys like go over that shit. Like, are there things that your older sister will bring up that you're like, oh, I didn't realize that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. And have you guys tried to do anything for her? like on an emotional level because of, because obviously she went through some shit plus trying to seem like she had it together as a kid is wild. So I don't know if like you guys ever recognized that and were like, Hey, rub you on your back. Like my mom. No, no, no. Or sister. Your sister. Um, yeah. Uh, cause for my sister, like she has always had to be like the tough one or like the mom basically of us. So yeah, we've always had to like, I wouldn't say we always had to, but we always like definitely like, or at least me, my brother, he's more distant when it comes to that stuff. He's not very good at like admitting like, you know, the parental side of that was kind of like fucked. Like the dynamic was fucked. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, but like for my sister, like, uh, definitely like I can acknowledge that she was like the mom and like that shit's not easy because she was only two and a half, three years older. Like imagine taking care of like two little kids like when you're 12 years old for like a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's... That and that's what I mean is like it's it's so yeah I don't know I yeah it's weird there's it that that's applicable to like a bunch of different scenarios where 
the person who was like stepping up doesn't necessarily realize that that's what they were doing either. Like they'll be like, oh, it's just what we had to do. Yeah. And she's not the kind of person that's like, oh, I took care of you guys or whatever. Like she doesn't hold it against us. She doesn't like use it for like bait or like for her own kind of benefit. She's just like, yeah, I did what I had to do. And we got through it. Like she's just that kind of person. Like she doesn't like, you know, put herself on a pedestal and is like, I did this for you guys. Like, (laughs) you know, she's not like that. She's like, yeah, whatever. Like totally nonchalant about it. Like whatever. I guess I don't I don't know th- this part about you. So I am very much like I hear a thing and I go, "Oh, we need to we need to go a little deeper on that because I feel like you're not acknowledging how difficult that is." And so I and maybe it's a shitty aspect of myself, I don't know, but I want people to realize the value that they have. And so that's why like I'm acknowledging like the the work that you put in and the stuff that like you're every like I said every time I talk to you you're trying to do some new like self improvement thing to make sure that your head is above water. Same thing goes for your sister, where my brain goes, "Hey, have you like acknowledged that like you a lot of weight was put on you and it's okay for you to like sit down and cry now or whatever you need to do." Like I, it's tough for me not to do that shit. When you hear heavy shit like that, do you go deeper in that way? Or is it more of like, yeah, me too. It's very like autopilot. Mm. I just got so used to all that stuff where like, so my life growing up was so chaotic that like now is like, so like, yeah, autopilot. So when stuff is like stable and fine now, that's when I start getting anxious because it's like Mm. everything's too chill now, like. This is kind of freaking me out. Like, when's the next bad thing going to happen? Like, because I was always on my toes as a kid. So, like, you know, not being on your toes all the time as an adult is just kind of like a fucked up feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I acknowledge, like, the traumas and, like, the heavy stuff that we went through as, like, kids and stuff. But, like, I don't, like, get super emotional about it anymore because, like, I don't know. I don't know why I don't. I can't even, like, tell you, like. It's not that I'm emotionless to it because it's like, yeah, I can like acknowledge like the things that we went through weren't right or anything, but I like don't get held up about it, I guess. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know. I can respect that because I've never cried or gotten emotional when I talk about the fact that I have suicide attempts. Mm -hmm. Like I get that it's. You know, it's a life ending. So to other people, like, it sounds... Morbid. Yeah. It sounds wild, but, like, I can't... <laughs> to you, you're like, eh, try it it's once. A th- yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> maybe I tried it a couple times. But it's that thing where I just... I don't know. I It's it's tough to... It, it's tough to get there for certain things. So, yeah, I that makes total sense because... When you're exposed to it so many times, you do get desensitized to it. It's not that you don't care, but you just can't I can't I can't do that thing anymore because I don't have it's been exo- it's been taken from me. So it's more so an acknowledgement of like, unfortunately, I got drained. Like this n- normal response that I'm supposed to have, like I, I've been I overexposed say, to, to shit. I wouldn't 
necessarily say that you're like drained. It's just the fight or flight response took over your brain so hard that like, what else can you do? You know, yeah. Like your body's kind of got to survive. Like you got fight, flight, or fawn. So. Oh, I've never heard that last one. <laughs> fight, flight, or or what? Fawn, like fawn. You know, you just kind of like like deer in headlights, kind of. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. Uh, that's that's funny. I can't believe I've never heard that before. So, like, if somebody, like, like if you were in a horrible, like, situation, like, you were getting robbed, right? Somebody is, like, holding the gun to your head. You're either going to fight them, you're going to fucking run away from them, or you're going to, like, freeze up and just get shot, dude. Like, <laughs> And, like, a majority of the time growing up, I would, like, freeze up. I, I wouldn't know how to, like, react or respond because, like, in, in my brain, like, it's processing, like, everything's happening so fast so much all at once that it's just like i don't even know how to react to this shit so it's just like you know it is what it is kind of thing yeah that's super interesting that i think that explains more of because it's not it's not that you like because when we were talking before uh before we started recording like like we're shooting and like kind of venting about our shit like you looked like you were going to cry. And even though I, I don't know that you recognized it, you know what I mean? Like probably not. A, Cause I didn't feel like I was going to, <laughs> but there's a demeanor that changes in you that like, I, I see this, this, this different thing, but the overriding like, um, muscle memory of like, we're in a happy situation. So let's, Let's do the thing. I'm going to wiggle around and make it seem like I'm not sad. Or, you know what I mean? Like, more of your disposition. And I think because because your, uh, like, natural thing is that freezing, I, I kind of, it makes more sense that, like, if I slow down, then I'm just going to freeze up. And if I go too deep on a thing, it might trigger something where my body just stops. So, and maybe I'm like projecting or just trying to guess who you are as a human being, <laughs> but it, the more interactions that we have, it kind of makes more sense as to like why you are the way that you are. A lot of it has to do with like, I don't want to like trauma dump on somebody to the point where they're like, feeling bad or pity for me mm. um because i don't like being the center of attention like that i don't like it when people feel bad i don't like it when people focus on my stuff you know so that's why i always try to be like yeah i feel like i'm gonna kill myself but today like this cool ass <laughs> thing happened like i like totally deter from the situation because i want to be like i feel like this but like i don't want you to like really think about it i don't want you to dwell because like my feelings are always interchanging. Like, I don't know how I'm going to feel in two seconds, like, from now. Like, right now, I'm going to feel sad. But, like, a minute or two goes by, I'm going to be, like, fucking hunky-dory. I'm going to be, like, happier than fuck. I'm going to be, like, hell yeah. <laughs> so, like, I don't like it. I don't like to, like, I don't like it when people, like, feel bad for me or, like, you know, give me pity. Yeah. I just don't like that feeling. So, I guess that's why, like, I'll say, like, some heavy shit, but in like a lighthearted way. <laughs> so it's just like, I don't want them to worry because like nothing's going to happen. So it's just like, and like I'm doing fine. So it's just like, I don't want them to be like, oh, that poor girl. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think like as friends, um, yeah, it's, it, 
I, I don't know your friend circle at all, but I know like from a, a me, well, I also have codependency issues. So that's another reason why I dive a little bit deeper, but I also have like that, that dad mind, you know, Riley Downs. Yeah. Okay. So he kind of got the ball rolling on like this whole, we're not, I'm not old enough to be your dad, but I'm old enough to feel like your dad. Does that make sense? Like there's a big enough gap to where, I mean, if I talk about, you know, have you ever seen Ah Real Monsters? No. Okay. So there's a big enough age gap to where you have no idea what that is. So there's these big gaps. So it feels distant enough to where I go, I could be a father figure. I could do this thing. So Riley Downs started calling me Daddy Chris or Papa Chris or something like that. And then I started looking at everybody younger than me as to like, how you doing? <laughs> it's me. It's me, your father. Yeah. I just want to see how you're doing. <laughs> um, so like it's it's this like desire to make sure that your feelings are valid and that it's not a burden to talk about those heavy things and let them feel heavy. Like I I want to be somebody who when you bring those things up. You don't have to put on a smile immediately after or make a joke to make sure that like I'm going to because I'm not like it's not a pity thing because I mean, that's love. You know, you love your friends, you love your family like it's it's not a burden or it's not some like you're putting us out by by going through this thing. Yeah, Growing up, I wasn't exposed to like love like that so like when people are like super nice to me or like you know trying to love me or something I'll like either push it away or I'll think that they have an ulterior motive you know so it's like why are you being nice to me and like when people like compliment me or like try to get close to me I'm like I have a hard time accepting it like I like hearing it like I love like hearing like oh you look pretty today like <laughs> you know I don't know how to accept it though I'm like Thanks. Like, yeah, cool. Like, you think I look nice? Like, <laughs> awesome. It's one of those like, or like when somebody's like, "I'm here for you." It's just like, why? <laughs> like, you know, it's like weird to me, and it like shouldn't be. And like, I guess that's kind of sad. But like, yeah, like lack of parental love and like family love, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like, I have my siblings, but like that that kind of was it for unconditional love. Everything else, like up like growing up after like the fact of my siblings has always been conditional. Yeah. And so. that I, I've, I've heard that a lot too, because um, how could you love me? The only people that love me are the ones that genuinely know everything that I've been through and have been through the same thing, which is usually the people that you were going through the traumatic things with. So it's, it's a bummer that like I you, have... you get burned so much that it's your, your body just, it's yeah, you get you get burned too much. I have only had one person outside of like my siblings or like family or whatever that's taken the time to actually get to know me and understand like my BPD and like why I am the way I am. And like she's like the only person in my life that's ever like. Wait, she I thought it was me. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so my friend Olivia, uh, the one that I live with, um, she's the only person that will like look me in my shit and be like. I understand you and I see you and I can see why you think this way and I can see the triggers that lie behind it. But like you are not that person like you don't have to like 
feel like a burden and like you, like I need you to understand like I am here for you and like I am safe for you. Like you can like be emotional towards me, to me and for me if you need to be like, you know, and like that's the only person that ever in my entire life that's ever like looked me in the eyes and is like, I see you as like who you are and like I'm not going to like stop being there. You know, mm. everybody else is like, oh, she's like having a mental crisis. Like mm. we're going to stay away until she's good again. And then we'll come back into her life. Like, and that's how it's always been. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you get used. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I get that. I acknowledge that. That's what I'll say. I acknowledge those feelings and I recognize them as real feelings. <laughs> um, but those situations, it just bums me out so much because. When, yeah, I, I think, like, growing up and, you know, hitting 30 and then being like, oh, like, I have been through enough to where I can probably relate to a lot of people. Um, and then <laughs> to go through even more and be like, oh, I was actually missing some things. And now I'm, like, even more so tapped into the reason why I do the show is I'm, I'm too deep into trauma and mental health stuff to, to not try to expose that more. And like, that's the purpose of the show is like, I don't want people to feel like they're abnormal for having gone through those things because there's the, one of the happiest people and like seemingly most put together people has been on the show and went through a lot of the same shit that you did. And so People that look like us, like, oh, of course, like, the tattooed people have a fucked up life because whatever. But, like, it doesn't matter, like, what you look like or where you grew up. Like, the exact same shit can happen in almost any environment. And, I like, the more that we do shit like this, I hope that people feel like they can open up to the person that's closest to them a little bit more. And maybe build a deeper relationship or find out that they went through similar shit. I just want that conversation to keep going until, because America keeps saying like, we're talking about mental health and uh, everything is getting better. It's like a little bit. It's improved a little bit, certainly better from when I was a kid, but there's still so fucking far to go. And going back to the, the CPS thing, like, CPS, social services, there's a lot of red tape and bullshit that they have to go through when they, if we would, I don't know, I don't even know how to attack that thing because I feel like there's so many kids that could be saved but can't because of like this one little stipulation. Like, did they feed you three ounces today? Well, technically that meets the requirements. So it's like, Dude, but I I didn't get any ounces two weeks ago. Like, this should, I don't know. Ramblings and ramblings and ramblings. So, to kind of uh, bring things back, though, um, you go through kind of those motions when um, Oliver uh, goes to his new parents. Um, how, how old did you say you were when you started therapy? Um, in between 19 and 20. In between 19 and 20. Okay. When you're going through that stuff, life doesn't stop either. So were you, like, how long did it take for you to, like, accept kind of what you were getting from your therapist? Does that make sense? Like, 
where where you're like, oh, okay, now I kind of realize that I need to be doing X, Y, Z? Um, a long time. Because at first, like, when you sit down with, like, the right therapist, they're going to, like, tell you things about yourself that, like, you don't, like, want to hear necessarily. And, like, you have a hard time accepting. So for a while, I was, like, very resistant to, like, you know. And it was kind of, like, a sick joke, too, because, like, I tried to kill myself because I gave my baby up for adoption and I had a hard time coping and the very first therapist they gave me was super pregnant and I was like is this a fucking joke like so that one did not work out and so I had to like find a different therapist and then um yeah I want to say it took like a good year and a half to like really realize like hey like the way I'm like doing things or the way I'm acting is not cool and it's not gonna get me anywhere and it's not beneficial so yeah, I, I mean, I want to dissect that in 50 million different ways, but um, that whole experience is different for, for everybody because EBT? DBT. DBT. Um, what? EBT? Um, Electronic <laughs> food benefit. <laughs> um, uh, I'm thinking of like the overexposure therapy. Um like for people who have been through trauma. So were they doing that stuff on top of what you were going through? Um, it, it was more so like, um, yes, but they were, the lady was really trying to get to the root of like, so you've been through these things. So how are you going to cope? How are you going to like next time you feel these intense feelings like these horrible like I'm going to kill myself like what will help like you know what are your resources that you can reach out to to help Okay Yeah cuz I was curious because like ther- therapy is so I don't know um it's way more narrow than I kind of realized growing up Have you done any therapy for the traumatic stuff in your life? No. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you will, or do you think that the coping mechanisms that you learned have kind of aided in dealing with that shit as well? I think um, I would definitely benefit if I did go back to therapy for the trauma shit, for sure. Yeah. So why haven't you? Lazy. <laughs> no. Uh, not enough time. You know, no, actually, it's medical insurance. So, uh, yeah, I cannot afford to pay for that out of pocket. You know, on state? Um, I think county. You're on county? Yeah. I don't know what that does, but they won't pay for it. Really? Mm-hmm. If I wanted to go back, I'd have to pay out of pocket. What the fuck? God damn it, Minnesota. <laughs> Pull it together. <laughs> Because I, I, I know state insurance is supposed to cover that stuff, but it's um, like within whatever pool. Yeah, it, it really depends because like for DBT, like they there there's only so many specialists that like accept that kind of medical insurance. So mm. there's only so many therapy places that I could go, which um for that one, I went to Nystrom, but there's only like so many that oh. I could. Yeah. Nystrom. Yeah. Okay. It was a positive experience with Nystrom. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um well, I mean, there's so to kind of wrap all of this stuff. Um when when you started to acknowledge all of that um that you're learning from therapy, um 
is that when you started to like explore what else you could do? I don't know if spiritual is the right word, but like, did you kind of go more on a spiritual journey as it pertains to you? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So like, where did you start kind of going? Because you've, you've talked about a bunch of stuff with me before. And so, um, a lot of it, uh, for me and my personal stuff that I went through, cause everybody's different. Everybody copes differently, thinks differently, you know, like not everything's black and white. Um, so for me, uh, definitely I like, I had to self reflect a lot and that was not an easy thing to do. Like, why is everybody disappearing? Why do I push people away? What's my like mechanism to push these people away? So like I had to self reflect a lot and then like, so I'm in an intense situation and I'd have to be like, pause, like, instead of jumping into it, you know, mm-hmm. impulsivity, I'd have to like pause on that shit. But like that shit like took so much practice, <laughs> like a lot of like actual, like being aware of like in the moment about this situation, like mindfulness, I had to practice that shit and I still have to practice that shit. So a lot of it's mindfulness. And then a lot of it, like I would look up this specific doctor on youtube um there's this youtube channel called um med circle Mm. and then there's this one doctor specifically dr romney and she like specializes in bpd uh narcissistic personality disorder like all of these mental personality disorders but um so i'd i'd like look her up a lot and like listen to a lot of the stuff she would say and then like um another thing that i would do is like it sounds stupid because everybody says like I don't know this shit. It just sounds so fake and corny at first, but it actually works like meditation and trying to like manifestation. Um, Mm. so like with that kind of stuff, I wouldn't even say manifesting, but like definitely like, I forget what the word is, but, uh, affirmations like, Oh yeah. I am worthy of love or I am super fucking cool. Like I do have like nice eyes. Like, you know, like (laughs) I am going to get far in life. Like I am going to like, you know, the more like things you tell yourself. Cause like imagine walking around being like, yeah, I'm nothing. I am worthless. Like, and you start to feel like it. So when you're like walking around being like, I am going to get far, like I am going to make it through today. Like that's the kind of stuff that I would have to start doing. And then like, now like I I struggle with it from time to time because like I said it's easier said than done but like you know like I have come a long way and like I am going to go even further and like I I've done cool shit and I still have cooler shit I have yet to do so I just have to like remember that yeah well I I think that's awesome that, so that's why I was curious is because yeah skateboarding helped a lot like a lot because like when you're so overwhelmed with a lot of like negative emotions like the breakup that I went through Mm. um that like felt horrible to me because he's not hearing me out he's like not hearing my side so I'm stuck with these fucking horrible feelings you know instead of like releasing them so it's just like fuck what am I gonna do I need to like do something so that's where like you know suicide used to come into play Mm. or self-harm used to come into play but now I'm like I'm going to go skate. I'm going to like, cause I physically need to fucking do something because these feelings are so horrible. These feelings are so heavy and deep that I'm like, fuck, I got to do something. I literally have to do something or I'm going to fucking kill myself. So I get up and I go skateboard or like I get up and like, I'll go for like a super long drive to like go somewhere and go skateboard or like, I'll like work out a little bit or something. Like I need to physically do something. So I dude, I connect with that. 
Big time, because skating and snowboarding were a huge part of my life. I actually just bought, can you see those little flash drives? They look like cameras. Yeah. So those are actual uh, flash drives that have old snowboard videos on them um, from like my childhood. And so the people, it's hard for people to wrap their head around, but like, when you go out and you skate and you land a trick. You feel high as fuck <laughs> and you don't even have to do drugs, bitch. Like literally you'll feel so horrible. You go out, skate, do the dumbest little trick that you didn't even think that you could pull out of your pocket. And you're like, put me on skate three, bitch. Like I'm going to become a character. You're going to be like, it's like nice. Like, so, yeah. But it's, it's a series of mini accomplishments. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Like, but that feeling of when you think that you're not cool enough, when you think that you, you know, can't accomplish anything like wearing certain types of clothes and going out and skating and emulating like the skaters that you respect or whatever, learning a trick that you saw somebody who's way the fuck better than you. Like, it's just so wild. It's I would imagine it's like if. Yeah, I don't know. Like, if you're playing like a pickup basketball game and an NBA player walked onto the court and you guys played together and you kept up, that's kind of like what skating is. When you start learning those tricks that you know really good people are doing, it's this like, oh man, I'm you're leveling up. Like the the go back to the skate three thing. Like it sounds ridiculous, but when you can do the same thing, it's. I'm I'm genuinely good at something. I'm genuinely like able to go to a skate park, flow around and keep up with everybody. Like that's a fucking underrated feeling. And it 1000% takes you out of the headspace of all of that depressive shit and whatever's going on. Uh the first like close friend that I lost, the very first thing that my friends and I did is we went out and skated because we were like this is what he would do. And on top of that, like, it's what we all do for any sad shit. So, like, this is, it's got to be what we do. Like, it's, it's a magical thing. Like, for as corny as that sounds, it genuinely, humans aren't made to do that shit. Like, like going up ramps or, like, jumping down a set of stairs, like, we're not, we're not geared to do shit like that. That goes against, like, survival instincts. So, it's, a yeah. Yeah. I vibe with it very much. <laughs> to go more, uh, more into that spiritual aspect of things, I do see like this more like kind of brighter light with you. And so, yeah, on the spiritual side of things, I was curious as to like, because you mentioned astrology and shit like that before, but like, do you feel like you're able to kind of like connect with the universe in whether that's meditation or trying to do affirmation stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, that stuff takes like a lot of practice. Um, but yeah, like that, that whole thing is like, you know, like things happen for a reason kind of thing. Like you kind of just have to trust the universe kind of stuff. It's, it's like scary at first, but like a lot of the things that like happen to us in our lives are like very out of our hands. Mm. Like, there's no way that we can control things. And that's where a lot of my anxiety stems from, too, is because, you know, everything in my life, like, leading up to my age now, like, we're so out of my control and so chaotic. And it was just, like, so anxiety-inducing. So that's what I had to, like, really, like, learn, like, what my anxiety really stems from is, like, 
control. Like I was never in control and I'll never be in control. So like practicing like that kind of mindfulness where it's just like, yeah, I'll never be in control. It kind of like, I mean, you are in control of like little things here and there, but like, you know, essentially like the horrible shit that happens to you. Like if I were to leave your house right now and my car gets totaled, how is that in my, in my control kind of thing? So it's just like, you kind of have to like, remember like, I'm doing what I got to do and I can only do so much, but I am doing it my best. And that's like what I have control over. So, yeah. In the AA world, like they call it just doing the next right thing. Radical acceptance. Radical acceptance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, but like in the in the baby step version is like you're, you know, for as. Yeah, I guess they are kind of the same thing, actually, because in the AA world, they're saying like, um, you can't focus on the addict that you used to be. All you can do is the next right thing. So like making it as simple as possible. Like for me, I found that is like what helped me the most, which is to say people were searching for higher power. My higher power is an eagle in the forests of Washington. It's like, okay, I don't, I can't do that. So what can I do? Um, purpose. What's your purpose? Like right now, your purpose um, can be as simple as when I go home, I'm going to check on my cat, make sure she's good, um, and then brush my teeth, take a huge shit, and then go to bed. <laughs> Sounds like my nightly routine. You know what I mean? Though, like, So it's these, it can be much simpler than like I have to do this glorious thing. Every achievement has to be something that's like worth fucking making a movie about. Um, and that radical acceptance is definitely a huge part of that because when we feel like we've gotten over a thing, cause this applies to mental health stuff too. Like we, you get out of a, a mental health ward or you, you know, um, come out of a therapy session, having accepted some aspect of yourself. Like we think you get kind of on that high where you're like, okay, that means I can open up my own business now. But really why not just be like, that means that I can go into a store and grab a pack of gum and not think about the 20 ways that I could die Yeah, a lot just of by it. being at this gas station. A lot of it is like for the whole radical acceptance, you just kind of have to accept things as they are like, um, and like not a lot of it is like, okay, so I accept like I fucked up and the feelings that I feel are horrible right now. And I just have to accept that. Like, you know, you kind of have to sit mm-hmm. with it and like really reflect like, okay, so like this sucks and there's not much that I can do to avoid these feelings because like if you avoid your feelings, like what good does that do really? So you kind of just have to like really self-reflect and like just sit with it and be like, okay, so like hopefully I'm learning from this and like what can I do to improve next time for the next situation? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you said that, like, sitting with those feelings, like, that is so fucking hard. Like, when, especially with people like with anxiety, like, ugh, Because it eats you. Yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, man, because it's, ironically, like, a lot of the times we are sitting with those feelings, but it is absolutely just devouring us. So, like, the thought of this little monster or like this hill of fire ants, I'm just going to sit with them. And like, I like, like 
trying to figure out how to make that like a normal thing is so fucking hard. And I still get knocked on my ass from time to time. And then like, oh, I'm a real piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I can't, I can't get over that little. It's like, it's not even a hill. It's you're looking at like this little like lump on the ground, but it feels like it's as tall as a fucking mountain. And you're just like, I can't do it, guys. I'm going to sit here and play Slime Rancher too. This episode is brought to you by Slime Rancher too. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess on like a daily basis, so I, cause I know you're going through some shit right now and it's not super fun. So, what things are you like implementing like on a daily basis for yourself to kind of keep yourself level? Um, definitely like a big motive for me to like stay sane ish is like my cat definitely focusing on her um and then like a majority of it is like okay so like i have this cool ass career that i can't fuck up on you know so i have that to like look forward to and keep me level and really that's all i kind of have right now besides for like my best friend and my roommate or whatever she like but you just i mean you say that's all but like your job has a bunch of variables every single day so Mm -hmm. So like it's it's more complicated than that, that guys. Just, yeah, you fucking bop out a cool ass tattoo, and then you're like, yeah, I was made to do this, so this is keeping me afloat now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean the like, cause yeah, the it's funny that you say your cat because part of the shit that you're going through is the fact that your cat's having a tough time, mm-hmm. and so I mean like that concept that you have to have other coping mechanisms other than boy or girl. 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 What's her name? Tone. <gasps> okay, so other than Tone, um, like when the, when your coping mechanism is showing cracks, what are you doing to be like, like to try to cope with that stuff? Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. um, well, a good like a good portion of it is like I have a couple coping mechanisms so like if one coping mechanism is like cracking or whatever like I'll be like oh my other fallback option but if that fallback option's like fucked too then I'll be like well at least I have another one but if that one's fucked then like oh my god like all hell like I'm not even gonna lie you know that's why like I'm still not where I need to be necessarily I'm not where I want to be at um So for me, a big coping mechanism is my cat. But like, so since she's like sick or whatever, like I have to like remain like calm because like if I'm fucked, my cat's fucked because I can't take care of my cat. So I kind of have to remember that. And then also like it's winter. You can't really just go out and skate wherever the fuck you want now. So you kind of like have to like dig deep for like spots to skate. And if you don't have that, like I have art. But like sometimes when you're in such a rut, art's not even fun. You're like, this is yes, and it feels more like a chore than like, you know, like something fun. So then I'm like, oh, I got to I'm going to go talk to my best friend. But sometimes she's going through her own stuff or she's out and about and like I can't talk to her. So then I'm like, fuck. And then I have to sit with it. Wow. So. So. okay, That's really good because I, I seemingly have like a buttload of coping mechanisms and like the support system and stuff. But. It is super easy for me to get in the the spot to where I don't want any of them. And I want to, I don't know. I don't know if that's a form of like self-pity or self-destructiveness, but like 
sometimes I'm like, I'm going to be sad and lay in my bed or whatever the fuck where I could be doing a million different things. I wouldn't necessarily say that's destructive though, because like imagine you feeling sad and you do anything in your possible power to like try to distract yourself from it. You're still gonna remain sad, except you're just not gonna necessarily like get to the root of it as to like, why am I sad? Or like actually like push through it or work through it. Yeah, I I more mean in the sense of like when I could be doing something about it. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes that's hard when you're so sad. Yeah, sometimes I just have to listen to Dashboard Confessional and just Don't fucking... Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're sad, bro. <laughs> um, well, dude, I mean, this is fucking awesome. It's a, it, This was... I've, we've been, I've been wanting to do this for, we were talking before, like two years, um, just because I, you would give these little glimpses of like, you'd be super happy and then say some fucked up shit and I'd be like, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> I need I need more information. Um, so this is like a, a twofer for me, whereas like I get to know you better as a friend and hopefully the listeners like get that like somebody could seemingly be bubbly, happy, whatever, but there's a ton of darkness behind there and we have to do a bunch of work in order to stay this way. Um, so don't take advantage of that. It's funny that you say that, though, because there was this one time when I was, like, 19 or going into 21, like, right after the whole baby shit and the whole suicide shit, I was hanging out with my one friend, and her boyfriend was on mushrooms, so he was, like, tripping, and when I walked into the house, he looked at me, like, dead in my shit, and he goes, why are you so sad? And I was like, I don't feel sad, and he's like, no, but there's there's this aura, and I was like, okay, <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> It was just funny because he was like on shrooms and nobody else like knew. So I was like, how come the high dude knows? Like, <laughs> I've never talked to this kid in my life. Like, what's your tattoo Instagram? Uh, Katie Tattoos. Is that Q A Y T T? How do you spell it? C A I T Y Tattoos. Okay, cool. <laughs> Um, so yeah, definitely go and follow that. You can book sessions with you <laughs> via I'm really bad. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm like the worst tattooer you'll ever see in your life. Don't wait. We just did a whole podcast, but I just want to think positive. Well, you know, like th- there is positive. You will get the worst tattoo ever. And it'll be so cool. <laughs> right. You'll never forget it. It's just like that bad Panther kind of trend. Remember? Oh yeah, the, yeah. And like, literally like, it's funny because like, you have it. Yeah, dude. <laughs> He's not finished because like this spot sucks, but Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's imagine really having funny. that, but like worse. <laughs> That'd be cool. Okay. Well, I don't care what she says. <laughs> I mean you're doing American traditional, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can do a lot, but that's my like favorite one yeah. to do. Get some American traditional shit. She does a good job. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Um, where do you want, like, if somebody wants to book a session with you, where do they reach out to? Oh, just on my Instagram or Facebook. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you better thank me. Well, I'm just kidding. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, okay. And to the listeners, be well to yourselves.